Welcome to another episode of the Cool Tools Show and Tell. Our special guest this week is Ethan Stone. Hey, Ethan, would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners and watchers? Uh, sure. I'm uh, another lawyer <laughs> hanging out in the Bay Area. I mostly uh, uh, represent startup companies and people associated with startup companies and transactions of all sorts, you know, formation, financing, M&A. And um, I should have silenced my cell phone. Um, uh, and um, when I'm not doing that, uh, I spend most of my time in political activism, uh, with mostly with Swing Left East Bay. Um, and that brings me to the Central Valley all the time and around the country periodically. <laughs> okay. Well, great. We're glad to have you. So, um, Ethan, what's one of your cool tools that you like to share with us? Uh, well, I'll start with the first one I have in front of me. And so these are, um, let's see, I got this in front of the camera. So these are voter registration cards. Um, and, you know, for people who are listening, it's a regular business card. I just print them out on Vistaprint. And, but, you know, they have encoded on them the, uh, the QR codes and written out the URLs that somebody can use to register themselves to vote. And I have these mainly for California, but when I'm not in California, I'll do up a pack for wherever I happen to be, assuming they allow online registration. And the reason that it's a, you know, the reason that I came up with it is because when I started registering voters oh, a few years back, um, you know, one thing that happens is somebody just doesn't want to stop. And that may be because they really are in a hurry and they don't want to stop, or it may be because they're trying to blow you off, or it may be because they've gotten themselves into an argument with you about whether it's appropriate to register to vote or not, and they're certainly not going to give in to you right then. And so under those circumstances, it's good to have something to give somebody to say, okay, well, take this, you can register yourself on your own time. And, you know, 99% of the time, I would guess, maybe, maybe that's a little bit pessimistic, but quite a few of the, of, of the times, if I give somebody a card, they're not going to use it, but they're cheap and, and it's easy to give it. And, and then occasionally you'll find somebody who wants to register other people, their children, uh, their friends. I, one time I hit the jackpot and I, um, this guy said, well, you don't want to talk to me because I'm not a citizen. And I said, well, let's talk anyway. And it turned out that he owned, uh, he owned a chain of skate shops um where you know which were filled with unregistered youth <laughs> so i just gave him all my cards and said you're not a citizen but you can get all these people registered so do that <laughs> so uh, so you mentioned um getting them printed with vistaprint so vistaprint is actually a cool tool that i mm -hmm. use it's um a way a cheap way to use an online um, service that prints business cards for you yeah. and i send them the file that i make and I use them to make my own business cards. So that's a cool tool. Yeah, I do that too for my actual business cards. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it, it it came to me maybe five, six years ago. Right. Well, I don't just have to print business cards on this. I could print other things. And I printed other ones, you know, with immigration resources, voting resources, you know, other things. Just something that I have to hand to people. Sure. Uh, Okay, well, that's a great one. And there's other places you can do it. It's not just Vistaprint. Yeah, yeah Vistaprint is sort of like one of the old granddaddies of this, and one of the first people to, first businesses that allow you to send a 
filed digitally and they would print it yeah. and they're based in Berkeley, I think as well. So oh, really? um, I did not realize that. Uh, yeah, I think they were. <laughs> uh, I should just uh, lock it down to them. <laughs> so uh, Ethan, what's the second tool? Uh, second tool uh, on a completely different topic is uh, these um, uh, can covers. Um, so um, this so is what you're describing is uh, what you're showing is a little kind of a plastic top that fits on top of a canned good, like a can of beans. And um, yeah. it's made out of uh, plastic. It's kind of like made like a Tupperware top that has a tab on one side. Yeah, and it's this one. And this one uh, uh, covers various different sizes of cans by having three different rings so that depending on the size of the can, you can you can fit it into the ring of the can. Um, and then I have some others, uh, this different uh, different brand. Uh, holding up a larger can. Right. And uh, it's a slightly different shape on the profile of the lid. But what it is are plastic covers to cover an open tin can. Yeah. And it's this one's fitted to a different size can. And I got it because, you know, these other ones didn't work for those cans. So I ordered more. And this, you know, I mean, so the uh, it's the alternative to this. And I'm now showing a small can that is too small for my covers that that I have in my refrigerator of tomato paste that that I have to cover with with plastic wrap. Right. And that's, you know, inconvenient, uh, wasteful, you know, various things. <laughs> and so one day it occurred to me these things probably exist. And so I just went looking for them. And lo and behold, they did. After I bought them, I recalled, I think a lot of people are actually used to these for pet cans, for pet food cans. Oh, okay. Um, we used to, uh, we used to have uh, pet food in the refrigerator and like, Alpo, I think, and we would have an Alpo branded cover for the Alpo cans. <laughs> but, um, so people may be familiar with them for that, uh, but they're not limited to that, obviously. I think a lot of times when, uh, when I went looking for it to get a link, uh, most of the links on Amazon were, did specify pet, but you can look for ones that, that will fit various different sizes of cans, regardless of what they're designed for. Right. So um, again, what these are are caps for an open can of food that you can seal off with a reusable plastic flexible lid, like a silicone version, and then like a Tupperware. Yeah, it uh, basically allows you to turn your cans into Tupperware, right. you know, with a seal with a lid that easily seals but easily comes off. That's cool. I've never seen that before. That's a really great idea. And you say they're kind of generic, or do they have brand names, or do you have you tried enough of them where you can recommend one kind over the other? I, I wouldn't recommend one kind over the other. I've only I only have I think two brands of them. They they both work for different kinds of cans, and because they work, I haven't. And because they last yeah. apparently, I guess not forever, but yeah. But so far, they've lasted as long as I've had them, which is years. And you know, I don't. Right. Did you, you know, have a, no, you have a, you have a link? No, safe. I don't put them through the dishwasher, but uh, okay. short of that. And you have a link for the ones that you use then? I did provide the link. Yeah, yeah. okay, great. We'll include that. That's for the ones with the rings, but it's pretty easy to find other ones. And if you're looking for a specific size of can, I would just tool around, you know, until you find it because it, yeah. it'll be there. Um, okay, that's a great one I hadn't heard of. Thank you for that. Sure. So, Ethan, what's, uh, what's the third tool, your third pick for today? 
so the third tool is on the one hand an extremely old tool, but but <laughs> so it's a it's a Faraday cage. Uh, and for those who who can't see it, it's it's actually a stainless steel uh, cocktail shaker. But because it's designed to have a tight metal on metal seal, um, you know, so that it, the cocktail doesn't spill when you shake it. Um, when you close this cocktail shaker, you've got a Faraday cage. And so anything that's inside is unavailable, you know, for um, uh, electromagnetic signals. And so that is a cool tool because, you know, my, the key fob for my phone lives in this thing. Um, wait, wait, the key fob for your phone? I mean, for my car. For my oh, phone. okay. All right. All right. Go, take you. Right. Uh, lives in this thing right next to my door when I'm not, you know, using the car. And, you know, years ago, I realized that the on most cars, I don't know, some of them may have fixed the problem by now, although I've heard of recent instances uh -huh. of fairly recent cars being subject to this as well. But my car in particular, which I won't name, although I should, <laughs> is, um, uh, you know, there's no security at all. Uh, the only security is distance. And so if somebody can just boost the signal uh, of the car and reach the key fob, then they can start the car. Oh, and you mean they, you, they can bridge your, your, your car's on the street in front, your fob's in your house, and they can make a bridge between those two yeah, just and start repeater. your car that way. It's just a repeater, just a pure man in the middle of town. I see. Okay. It's not encrypted in any way. It's it's limited by range. And so, you know, it's designed so that the key will only communicate with the car when they're close by to each other. Um, but the key has ironic, I mean, you would think it would be the other way around, but the key has a lot more power than the car does. Right. Because the key has to be able to find the car in a, you know, uh, like when you press the button, it has to be able to find the car in a big okay. parking lot. And so, so a thief, you know, and I am told I've never gone looking for this product in particular, right, right. but I am told that on the right websites, you can easily find the repeaters, you know, all set to steal different kinds of cars and okay. then you just walk up close to the car. And if the owner is nearby, then it, you know, it just, it just boosts the power and repeats right, right, the signal. Right. The car reaches the key fob and starts the car. Now you won't be able to restart the car when you've driven it away, but if you drive it to the right place, you got plenty of time to take it apart for parts That's or okay. you know, hot wire it wow. um, Okay, yeah. So uh, so your solution here is this um, stainless steel cocktail yeah. mixer. <laughs> yeah. It just like I guess it kind of looks nice, so it's not a, just a bunch of <laughs> copper screen that you uh, basket. Yeah, okay, I get that. Uh, yeah, and you can use it to. I mean, it's anything where you need to block signal. So if I mean, I don't personally. Does your phone fit in there? Yeah, it, I think it would. Uh, let's see if it does. Well, no, my phone's too big. But I'm sure you could get a bigger canister. You know. Yeah. something designed it just has to have the metal on metal seal so you could probably find something designed for you know dry goods in the kitchen or something like that right right um, well they also make bags for, to keep your things that they did if they were using those for the um fast passes yeah they have, and, so they have, they have kind of like a mylar bag that you can put things into that are basically a faraday cage 
Yeah. And if you rent cars, sometimes they'll have, uh, you know, like an easy pass or right. uh, that will be, and it'll be in a box and the box is a Faraday cage and you slide right. something out to, to, you know, let the signal in, yeah. um, you know, yes, I, I experimented a bit with the bags, but the bags were less convenient. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I also have tried carrying the bags in my pocket, but that's really inconvenient. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, this is so like almost, you want something that doesn't look bad. It has at least, it looks uh, presentable. So um, that the, too, yeah. This is a cool idea. Yeah, uh, it works. Well, great. <laughs> I so, tested it out the first day I got it. I put the key fob in, I walked up, I, you know, opened it, walked up to the car, opened the car. Closed the canister, tried to open the car, car wouldn't open. <laughs> wow, that's really cool. That's great. Okay, Ethan, so what's your fourth tool? Uh, so for my fourth tool, I'll share my screen. Um, so my fourth tool is actually a feature of, well, I know it's a feature of Microsoft Word. I'm not sure because I don't use Google Docs a lot, whether... This exists in Google Docs, and I'm not sure about other word processors, although there, I think there aren't a whole lot that are quite as dominant. Um, but people seem not to know about this feature <laughs> of Microsoft Word. So you can have, I, I've got in front of me a, um, uh, a document that illustrates the problem with not using this. So this document was generated with, with what a lot of people use, which is the track uh, changes feature yeah. of um, of Word. Yeah, uh, and so um, one of the problem. I mean, the problem with this is twofold. And, and just just for the people who are listening, yeah. sorry. So what we're seeing here is is a document looks like a contract of some sort, and yeah. there is it's all black and white as usual the text, but there's one bit of text which is in red and struck out. And I guess that's the track changes that um, you're showing there. So that's the track changes. And the reason that I did this is because, um, and I'll just now, I'll accept all changes. So this is, it looks, Kevin, you can see that it looks like, you know, it was just a deletion of the sentence at the end of the paragraph, right? right. But if you actually accept changes, then you find out that I accidentally, well, not accidentally, because I did it on purpose, deleted the paragraph um, uh, divider. And uh -huh. so now, now yeah. the paragraph has disappeared. Because so the paragraph one of the was, was built into the, to the line. There's a paragraph yeah. in the line that was also deleted. Okay. Yeah. And you can see it's in red. So you can right. see that it was deleted. But if you're not paying a lot of attention, you won't see it. And I, it, Every day I get these things, you know, where, where somebody has deleted paragraphs or deleted things they didn't mean to delete or whatever, you know, just messed up the formatting uh, because they had track changes on. And the problem right. with track changes is you never see, unless, unless you're very careful, in which case you wouldn't use it anyway, you never see the final clean document. Ah, I see. Track changes. So that's the reason, right? Is because nobody then does that, accepts all changes, checks to see how it looks, and then and then goes back, right? They track their changes and then they send it off. Right. And so they send it off with these formatting problems in it. And then the other problem, I'm now going down into a different part of the document just to illustrate this problem. So in this paragraph, you can see um, 
that there is a sentence where it shows added text and deleted text. And the, this is the right. other problem. So, which the, is, so you, ha you, have, you have, again, a sentence or two in red. One of them is added because it's underlined. The other one has been deleted because it's, there's a strike through. It's worse than that. So it's it's actually some of the some of the language is underlined yeah. and therefore added. And then in the middle of it, there's a deleted uh, uh, word. And at the end of the sentence, there's a deleted clause. Right? right. And this came about. I mean, I deliberately generated this. This is all me. And I put the sentence in and then I took it and then I replaced the term. And then I added that clause at the end, and then I decided to delete it, right? And now that whole drafting history is sitting there, right? Yeah. And if this was a real contract, this is just a form, but if this is a real contract that I was sending to the other side, I would now be showing them things that I thought about and then discarded, right? Uh -huh. Which on the one hand would just be confusing, but on the other hand is um is also revealing things that you don't want to reveal right. and and it's it's hard to produce you have to really work at it i have occasionally had to use track changes and you really have to work at it to produce a clean you know an, a, a nice red line that does everything that you want because you have run into all these problems where if you if you mess up one thing when you try to fix it it that shows up in the red line too and you end up with a drafting history um, and, and you can't delete the drafting history. I mean, no, no, you, I mean, not, not end use track changes. You could, right. You could turn it into a clean document, but if you want to send somebody something showing them your changes, there's no way of deleting that. Oh, I wait. mean, you, you can, you can undo all of your changes and then redo them. Right. But if, but if this was a real document and I added something and then I sent it to the client and then it came back and the client says, hey, I don't like that clause at the end. And now I delete it. Right. It's not just a question of going back and undoing my changes. I'd probably have to. I mean, you know, it, it's it's not easy uh, to okay. produce something that just shows the information you want to show okay. and doesn't show what you don't. And so the alternative. And so now for those uh, listening, but who are familiar with Microsoft Word, I'm in the review tab of of the you know of the um uh what is it called uh the ribbon at the top and so one of the features of the review tab and and that is where track changes is but there's another feature on the review tab which is the compare feature and you go down and you select compare and compare will just ask you to show it an original and a revised and then it'll produce a red line so you know if i mean I probably should have prepared an example of this where where we'd produce the same red line but cleanly, but but it does exactly what it sounds like it's going to do. It will just compare two versions of a document, you know, show you the differences between them, and then there's there's no drafting history. And if you mess it up, right? If I mean, anytime I send a document out that's a version of some other document, I will before I send it out redline it against the last public version and just take a look at what I've done. Because often, usually the first time I do that, I will find some things that I don't like, but nothing's lost, right? Because I just discard that red line and I, and I make the changes that I wanna make and then I generate another. And in the meantime, when I'm actually drafting the document, I'm working in the clean. So I always can see what the final document is gonna look like. 
and I can't make a you know formatting error that I'm not going to notice. T tell me where this is best used. What the best use case of of your little hack is? Um, it's it's not. I mean, it's it's Microsoft's little hack. It's just okay. Sure, I, yeah, I know, I know, but whatever. For some reason, it just doesn't seem to be widely known. Right. So what what what's what's the use case for it? So it's two use. It's any use. The 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 use case is anytime you want to compare two documents, right? right. Compare um, two documents. But there are two primary use cases. One of yeah. them is somebody sends me, actually three primary use cases. Somebody sends me a document that has revised something that I previously sent them. Okay, wait, wait. So so you're working like there's two people. They're working together on something. Maybe there's a lawyer or whatever. Maybe I don't know. Would, would this apply? I guess this is places where you're concerned about having that that history shown. All right. Yeah. Okay. Right. So, so you, so you're, you're two people working, and you're concerned about revealing the actual history of it, but you want to be able to to keep track of the changes. So, you're working with someone else. You send them a document, and they make changes on it, and they're not going to use track change. They're not going to use track changes, and they send it back to you. Then you can kind of do a compare. You can kind of say yeah, they might use track changes, or they might not. It doesn't matter because I can. You can. You can ask it to compare a document that has track changes and it, a dialogue box will pop up and it'll say um, that that document has track changes. Should I just assume that you're making all the changes? And then you just say yes. And then it it compares it as if it was a clean document. Right. And so so if somebody if I send a document to somebody else and they send me back a new version, I rarely look at their they often will send a track changes document. I rarely look at it because I want to make sure that I am sure that I'm seeing all the changes. Right, exactly. <laughs> and so I will use it then just to make use sure that I am seeing all the changes. Right. right? Um, regardless of what they decided to show me. Right. And, and so, um, and so you can make your changes there and they can send it back to them. They could look at compared changes and it would compare to any two versions of the document that you are picking that you can look right. at. And so, so then the next step is the next use case. So they send me back their version. I look at the changes they make. With a compare, with compare. With the compare. I talk to my client about it or whatever. Right. And I make some more changes. Now I'm right. going to do that on a clean version usually, right? For the reasons that I said is I want to be able to see what the clean version looks like. And it's easy. Uh -huh. So, so, so when, the track when... changes off, I'll modify the, the clean document. I'll get it to where I want it to be. And then you get to use case number two, which is quality control, right? I, you know, uh, so I'll compare, you know, the document they sent me to the document I think is done and it'll immediately show me the changes. And then I can see what I have done. And I will often find that I did something that I didn't mean to, right? <laughs> or I didn't do it right, you know? And, and then use case number three, there's actually four. Use case number three is basically a variation on that, which is when I'm sure it's ready, then I generate a red line that I send to the uh, to the person on the other and side. How, and I how say, do you generate? What do you mean generate a red line? How do you generate? You a red compare. The compare. So the compare shows up in red. So you 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 you're able to save that version that illustrates it. Well, personally, I I am low tech in my versioning. Huh? I just save multiple versions under different titles with a, right. a naming convention. Right. But if you have a document control system, then it will save, you know, uh, different versions and you can just go back, find the versions that you want, put those into the, into the dialog box in word and it'll compare the two documents. So once I'm done, once I think I'm finished, then I'll take whatever the other person sent me originally and I'll compare it to what I think is my finished product. 
that produces a compared document that shows all my changes. And then that's what I send to them along with it, usually along with a clean, because I think it's polite to send people a clean, although I seem to be in a minority on that. Uh -huh. And then use case number four is, is when there's no third party involved and I just have multiple versions of the same document, say multiple forms of an LLC operating agreement, all of which are very similar, but different. And if I'm trying to figure out which is the right one or where to make certain changes or whatever, then I'll compare two of those documents that are close enough that, that you know, it won't just be a sea of red. I'll be able to see the differences. And then that'll tell me what I want to know about the differences between those two documents so that I can decide, say, which one to, to start with, which one's okay. more appropriate for what I'm doing. All right. So the, 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 the cool tool, the feature here is this compare function. Yeah. And substitute for track changes in cases where you're concerned about revealing the change history. Yeah. And one thing to bear in mind is even if you're not, you know, um, like me, you know, obsessively keeping different versions of documents, if some, if, if, if you don't keep the original version that they sent you and, and you, you know, you've marked it up and whatever, it's still attached to the email they sent you usually, or it's still at the download site yeah. that they gave you. And so when you're ready to do the compare, you just bring it back down again, put it somewhere where you know where it is and compare. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, I asked for the use cases because um, when I use track changes, it's not in that it's in kind of with a editing function, right? We're going mm -hmm. through the, the, um, multiple editors, multiple people, multiple revisions, and it's um, with people of different colors, and um, we're trying to check that. Um, and so actually keeping track of the change history is important to me <laughs> versus... No, that's true. That is the one thing. But I usually, in my line of work... Yeah, exactly. I'm usually trying not to play along with that right, kind of thing. Right, right, exactly. Deliberately, because right. I right. don't want, you know... I understand um, it. But that's the use case, right? But it does. It does. That's the one thing about about my versioning of documents that that sometimes annoys people is that they want to create this sort of conglomerate document, you know, where they just accrete more and more changes, all of which are in different colors and you know with little tags next to them. And I find that after two or three iterations, virtually impossible to use. <laughs> So, <laughs> because on of, occasion, because, because, of the somebody, because of the colors, yeah, just because it's such a jumble, yeah. you know, of things crossed out at it. Like I said, you know, somebody deletes something and then it gets added back. The deletion doesn't disappear. So now you got the deletion, the added back, you know, it's the first thing, the deletion, the added back, they're all sort of jumbled together. And um, so I personally, I find it, very, very hard to review those documents after two or three people have participated in them. Um, but, you know, sometimes uh, somebody on the other side will be very insistent about it. And and so I'll just, you know, painstakingly plan my, in those cases, I will take a clean document, I'll plan all that, my, my changes, I'll generate a compare so I know what my changes are, and then I'll go back to the original red line and I'll one by one, make my changes to the red line. So I know I'm only making the change I want to make, you know, um, it's labor intensive, but I can understand why sometimes people want to do that. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's great. So the compare function versus track changes. All right. Very good. So Ethan, um, 
Tell us about your passion project, what you um, would like to share with our audience. Well, uh, starting sometime in 2017, towards the beginning of 2017, oddly enough, I started getting uh, very politically involved. <laughs> and so uh, so that's, that's what I spend my passion, time, and effort on. Um, so, you know, my primary, I mean, I sort of banged around for a year or two. And then at this point, my primary home is is Swing Left East Bay, which um, for those listeners who are in the East Bay, I encourage you all to, to get in touch. Uh, and so I, you know, register voters. I, uh, you know, knock on people's doors and try to bring to their attention the elections that are coming their way and the results of the elections that happened previously. Um, yeah, those are the two main activities, I suppose. Um, and, and you have a, a website or something where people can contact you if um, if they want to? Yeah, I mean, if it's uh, swingleftistbay.org uh, is, uh, is the website for the organization. And it's easy to get in touch with us. And it's easy to get in touch with me uh, through that. Basically. And if someone was not in the East Bay, if there were many listeners around the world, do you have any tips or suggestions uh, for them? about doing something similar in their neighborhood or their city? So for many people, there will be a local chapter of Swing Left. So if you go to swingleft.org, you can, there's a tool to find another cool tool, I suppose, <laughs> to find your local chapter of Swing Left if there is one. And if you're in any kind of a major city, there will be one. And many other places, there is one as well. Um, so that's a good place to start. Uh, they will also um uh, be able to hook you up with things happening nearby you uh, that are being organized by swing right. left um another uh well maybe cool tool is is an organization called vote forward uh that's votefwd.org and they generate um letters to get out the vote mm. and uh so they the wizardry the wizardry is twofold they have since the very beginning in 2017, just a magical year, apparently, um, uh, uh, the guy who does that, a guy named Scott Foreman, who lives in Oakland, um, he um, uh, started testing. So the very first thing he did, he just wrote all the letters himself. He got a, a voter file and and he just sent letters to maybe a thousand or two thousand voters and then and then you know, took his file and took a control group out of it and didn't send letters to them to see if it would work. And that was the, the special election for Senate in Alabama at the end of 2017. And it did, it worked. And so ever since then, they've been A-B testing constantly. They constantly, you know, uh, test every time they do a campaign, There's they take out a control group and they periodically will do what they call laboratory campaigns where they try to test something new. And so that also, the second, the first wizardry is, is they're very good with the lists. And the second wizardry is that they constantly test the procedure and the letters for effectiveness. And the, the basic idea is you download these letters in PDF, you print them out, and then you handwrite the envelope and you handwrite a little message on in the middle of the letter, but most of the letter is printed so that most of the information that goes to the voter is tested and planned. And but it comes in a handwritten envelope and it clearly was handwritten by a volunteer and that uh, presumably makes it more more effective than other means. It certainly is effective. It's been tested over and over. Um, and anybody can do that from anywhere. 
Yeah. So, you, you know, right now, my me, I and my volunteers are writing letters to get out the vote in Virginia in November. And, you know, I personally am going to head to Virginia <laughs> towards the middle of October, but most of my volunteers won't. Right. Uh, but they'll keep writing. And, and, and do I, you have, um, for those of us, for those of the listeners who are not in, in U.S. based, do you have any suggestions about getting out the vote in their countries? In their, in it, getting out the vote in their countries? Yeah. Uh, in terms of organization or how no, you no, the organizations, tips or whatever, uh, what have you found that works um, to get people out to vote in places that aren't in the U.S. just for the benefit of those who are listening, not in the U.S., say they're in Canada or uh, England or I mean, Australia? In, in, terms of, in terms of what works psychologically to get people to vote in countries where it's not mandatory, like the US. Um, my, I mean, I haven't gone deep into the research, but my understanding is the most effective thing is knocking on people's doors, you know, fairly close to the election. That is by far the most ef effective thing. And you, if you knock on somebody's door and talk to them two or three times before the election, including one close, then you vastly increase the chances that that person votes. Um, one of the tricks that is also uh, well tested that we're doing right now is um, is is vote pledge cards. So I was in I was in series uh, over the weekend and talking to voters. And obviously, I'm talking to them about what the current situation is and what their frustrations are, and you know, trying to make sure that they understand who has their best interests in mind. Hopefully, and but then the question is, what effect does that have? Because we're you know, there's no election that's going to happen that I'm trying to get them to vote in really until November of 2024. But psychologically, if I can get them to write a postcard to themselves, so they write out their name and their address. And then on the flip side of the postcard, they name three people that they're going to remind to vote. So then I take that postcard home and in October of 2024, I send them that postcard. Well, now they're going to get a postcard from themselves close to the election that's going to remind them, oh, yes, I did promise that guy I was going to vote. And I not just that, I promised that I was going to get these specific three people to vote, too, and I'd better do that. Because once people promise to do things, right, then they, they're yeah. much more likely to do them. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. That's the cool tool. So thank you for, for that. <laughs> that's really, really great. Um, what an ingenious idea. And I think you're right that a postcard to yourself promising something to do to yourself that has to increase the likelihood. Well, thank oh, you. That's well tested. That oh yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it is. Like it just makes yeah. very evident sense. So yeah. um, thank you, Ethan. That was really fabulous. Um, really yeah. great stuff. That was not a norm, which is really what we're looking for. Um, so thank you for volunteering as <laughs> your great volunteer. And we appreciate your sharing and thank you. Okay. Thanks Kevin. This year, our Cool Tools blog will be 20 years old, which means we've been posting something new every day for 20 years. It's only possible because of the very engaged and knowledgeable readers and listeners like yourself. You've kept this place going, and we are very grateful for you. With this idea of 20 years in mind, um, we decided to try an experiment this year and I'm inviting our guests and listeners to join me on our Cool Tool Show and Tell, which is the program that you're listening to right now. So if you feel you'd make a good guest on this podcast, 
and have four uncommon tools that you'd like to share with us, um, please sign up on our form on the website and we'll see about inviting you. You must be comfortable taking all, talking on a video and um, you need to have some tools that you can show. Um, we record on, as you know, on Zoom. We do a YouTube version, a visual video version of it, as well as an audible version. Fill out the form if you're interested and um, list your four, four cool tools and we'll see if there's a good fit. The applications aren't guaranteed in any way. Um, and we're looking at tools that are new to us and appropriate tools and um, whether the times will work for you. So um, we're really interested in hearing from people all over the world, not just in the U.S., although the tools have to be available online, easily available online. And um, if you are a longtime listener, you kind of know what the definition of our tools are. They're very broad. They can be anything that's handy, from something in the kitchen to something you use to travel to a workshop to something professional that we may not know about. We're really interested in things that we don't know anything about. So um, this is an open invitation. We'll give it a try. If you think you make a good guess for this podcast, um, fill out the form. There'll be a link somewhere on our website. Um, and we look forward to, to chatting with you. Thank you.